Welcome to The Fourth Watch. As the world is falling apart, the church should be coming together, but we have to wake up first. Biblical prophecy is unfolding and we keep looking for a new normal. The enemy is parading in broad daylight, we keep changing the channel. The media keeps saying look left when the real activity is happening to the right. 2020 caught everyone off guard, which leads to one very important viewpoint. Every demonic influence running rampant in America right now had to go to the church to get here. It's time we changed our focus and our footing. No more excuses, no more racial divide, no more ignorance, and no more country club church. The enemy feels like he's on a winning streak, but we're here to remind him and you of our biblical and American heritage. We serve the Lord of Angel Armies, and we thrive when our backs are against the wall. The goal of the Fourth Watch is clear, to equip you with a biblical foundation as it relates to spiritual warfare. You don't need to be a pastor or a teacher to recognize what's happening, and the Bible is filled with references to the last days. History isn't repeating, it's setting the stage. One of our generations has to be the last, and no one is coming to save us but God. So how do we see things as He intended? How do we see the enemy at work in our daily lives? How do we respond to demonic attacks against ourselves and our family? How do we identify the deceivers masquerading as politicians, celebrities, influencers, and even pastors? And more importantly, how do we bring revival when most Christians are focused on culture over kingdom? The fourth watch is from 3 to 6 a.m. daily, the darkest hours before the dawn. It's when Abraham raised his dagger, when Jacob wrestled with God, when Peter stepped onto the water, and when Jesus arose the third day. Now, the fourth watch is our effort to show you how spiritual warfare isn't just real, it's raging. And whether you choose to see it or not, every single one of us has a role to play. Journey with us as we search the word, discuss current events, put our faith into action, and use ourselves as an example along the way. Welcome to Spiritual Warfare for the Masses. Welcome to the fourth watch. I'm Mike. It's April 10th, 2021. I am Steve. Steven, whatever. No, Steve is good. I, good. I occasionally call you Steve or Stephen or some other thing, but I'm not going to mention it here. I, I guess background, I'm a father. Okay, I'm going to intro Steve. Steve is uh, an anomaly. That's what Steve is. He's not normal. <clears throat> his height, his breadth, nothing's normal about Steve, nor the way he has lived life, and it, it is one that has brought him to the feet of Christ. And right now he is consistently trying to be a warrior for Christ in what we consider to be a completely spiritual battle. As Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, this, this is a battle between spirits of right and wrong, about princes of darkness. And that's the whole purpose of the fourth watch is for us to get the understanding that Christianity is not so much an uh, intellectual belief system following a bunch of rules as much as it is living within the hand of Christ and being one of his servants because of his beautiful gift to us of grace when he suffered on the cross for us. That love we must show back to him. And we can do that in the spiritual battle we're in at this time. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that spiritual battle. So I have to introduce you first, though. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Graham. Graham is a, uh, he's, he's, he's not a nice man. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a great man, done a lot, of, a lot of public service, and has actually danced around the spirit of death for quite some time. 30 years? Yeah. That. Well, even before that, as a criminal investigator, so. But this is why this is different. We're supposed to hash out some topics, bring you along the ride, ask big questions, you know, think really big thoughts that are far, far above our pay grade, and have some fun when we do it. 
All right, break us in. You watched something today, right? Epoch Times? Yes, yeah. It was uh, Epoch Times. It was their podcast. And it's uh, Joshua Phillips. He's a writer and one of, I think, founders of Epoch Times. And he is really very, very dedicated to fact and truth. His interviews are long and actually longer than some of our podcasts. So he was talking today with Dr. Frank Turek, and it was really interesting because they were talking about something we have been talking about on the fourth watch for some time, the spectrum of Christianity and how it's faring in the spiritual war. That, that's a big question because uh, Steve has often pointed out to me that most likely the, the Antichrist will come through the church. And we also have, almost with every caveat in talking about the end times, it talks about being not deceived in false teachers. And I have noticed lately, and so has this Dr. Turk, that there's a change in language with those who are concerned about the 2021 election. And they actually almost use religious terms, godly and Christian terms, to promote social justice or any other political program they're pushing at the time. So they're blurring the line between it. They're blurring the line between it. You can have salvation and grace without God. The language that they're using, is it pretty sophisticated? It's very sophisticated in that most people don't even realize how it has crept into the church. The concept that if, we'll put an example out there, that you do not believe in same-sex marriages because within the scriptures, it says that marriage is between a man and a woman. That is changed because in many, well, in, in many churches, you have now, I know in the uh, Episcopal Church, you have people who are married and are priests in same-sex marriages. Now, that is quite an accommodation in Christian thinking from what the biblical mandates are. It's one thing to allow the language. It's another thing to condone it. It's another thing to officiate <laughs> what is a sinful act to actually allow the church to play a legal role. That's correct. And then there's also a different aspect of celebrating that type of, it's basically the only sin that's become an identity. And that's pretty dangerous because what do people say? Oh, you know, I didn't go to the service, but I, I went to the wedding shower and I went to the, mm -hmm. I went to the reception, but I didn't observe the legal situation. But what does that say? Oh, I went to go party with them afterwards. Right. I, 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 went, I, I went to go be joyful about their union. The celebration. It's pretty dark. And that goes into, it's picking and choosing what part of the gospel you want to follow. Well, see, the, the problem is, uh, with if you want to be a practicing Christian in today's world, you have to make choices because we actually believe in truth, that there is valid truth. What are Christians doing if they're not also including their level of comfort in the equation? Because the choice that you're asking is you, you either believe the Bible is true and you follow accordingly. Correct. And you don't add a bunch of layers, what ifs, in between. But comfort seems to be a layer that people are adding in. Is this, is this going to be too uncomfortable? Well, they're afraid. When I think of comfort, I think they're extremely afraid of, and this is so brilliant, of Satan himself. Well, if you oppose same-sex marriage, then you hate homosexuals. Naturally. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. Jesus didn't love everyone, <laughs> right? So we should, yeah. Right. So this is... this. Nobody wants to be called hateful, especially Christians. 
And so they, they acquiesce to a wrong and call a wrong a right. So this is why my church back in California, I know it was maybe a couple of years ago, at the opening of a service, uh, one of the guys, he basically had this opening intro that said, you know, gay people welcome here. And like the whole crowd erupted, which blew me away. I'm sitting here like, wait a second. We've never taken an ardent position against any person that chooses, you know, that calls themselves homosexual as an individual to yeah. come to church. When did that become an issue? That's insane. The fact that he even was celebrated, on one hand, I love that he did it because the church doesn't often openly say that, but because you have to draw a line somewhere. Listen, gay people are always welcome to church. God loves them as much as he loves any of us. Absolutely. Like, he doesn't respect any of us any more than the other. But the fact that people in the crowd almost had an assumption that church did not want gay people there. Correct. Implied assumption. It's a beautiful tool in debating. But even now, though, they have an implied sense of, okay, we need to make sure these people are comfortable. And so we're not trying to be offensive. We'll let them use language. Language becomes action. Action's now becoming law. And now there's punitive court cases, which are being played out against Christian businesses that are refusing to honor same-sex anything. Well, L, the, what, LG? I, I don't know the, the letters anymore. <laughs> they're, good, they're adding on to them. Beastility is going to be in there somewhere. Just be a little nice to us yeah. because we can't keep this shit straight. Sorry. We are not going to keep people who marry goats out of our church. It's just not right. It's hateful. <laughs> I think the idea is this though, that if we're calling it the woke church, and my thing for people is I want to support the church. The church has a place. Technically, the ecclesia churches every single conversation that we have. It's between two people in a moment. Correct. It doesn't have to be within the four walls of a building that's called, uh, you know, permanent gathering place of, of Christians. But what does that mean? It means that the church has to figure out what hill it's willing to die on. Because right now, it's like death by a thousand little cuts. Death by a thousand little, you know, social, you know, discomforts. Mm -hmm. And if they discomfort people so much, people stop coming. Then if people stop coming, they stop giving money. Then the pressure is on for pastors to maintain a business. Well, I can understand why they took prayer out of schools, because there might be some people that are atheists, or, you know, they might read the New Testament rather than the Old, and that might offend the Jew, and, you know, it, it just goes on down the line. But also, generationally, they thought that they had the ability to maintain their household. And that men and fathers have the ability to influence their children. And now we don't have fathers in 50% of the homes. Yeah, so let alone, you know, if you don't have fathers, there's no way you can have influence. But even the homes that do have fathers, guess what? There's no influence. You, no. Can't, you can't tell me that all those BLM and Antifa people that were parading on the streets destroying cities, that they had any sort of father figure at home saying, get your ass inside. You're acting like a fool. Right. I looked at that, I'm like... Most of these people have fathers around. No, most of those fathers, to tell you the truth, spent anywhere between forty-five and sixty-five thousand dollars sending their kids to some exclusive school somewhere, where which is absolutely ridiculous because they come out with this degree in social <clears throat> justice or whatever, and they complain about not being employable. Well, other than Starbucks, I don't know any home for that person. It's also become, you know, the liberal studies major isn't even aware that you've got this cultural appropriation of subjugation. You have moral ambiguity, but the state is now implying a moral posture. But then you also have, you know, like the KGB in Russia, the whole concept of cognitive dissonance, where you're actually 
<laughs> you're actually creating, you're almost infiltrating all these different institutions in America and you cause this sort of like mental decline because they're getting it from all these different inputs. They're getting it from college, getting it from the media, getting it from these different fringe groups that now are, are just as main place and, and commonplace in everyone's life. So now even to tell people the truth, people don't even want to call out the truth that they see if the rest of the crowd is, is doing their own thing. True. Which it, it does lend itself to people saying, oh, sheep. And I remember that people used to call Christian sheep. Oh, you Christians. Oh, you just blindly believe. You know, to an extent, to the people that were checking a box each Sunday, the cultural Christians, right, that just wanted to go for the country club, I get that. It's valid. But to where we're at now and what we see the church doing, which is almost condoning this type of behavior. I mean, when you see these megachurch pastors walking out with BLM people into the streets, you know. Scary. <laughs> In the name of social justice. Now, Tell that to the guy that has the small hardware store that just got burnt down. How just was that? Even that police captain, Dorn, that was killed. Yeah. I mean, come on, really? You're going to tell me that this is about black justice and you kill a black man that's trying to save a business? The, the very communist woman that uh, was one of the founders of Black Lives Matter just uh, purchased a multi-million dollar home. I forget <laughs> where it was. Now, folks, I don't live in a multi-million dollar home. And if I did, it would be in relationship to my giving. <laughs> so if I did have a multi-million dollar home, there would be multi-million dollars given to causes that would actually help people, like food banks and stuff like that. But that also adds to the fact that at risk of social virtuing, we have black people in our lives that we call close friends. We were just praying with them today, I mean, this morning. <laughs> so personally, one of my metrics of you know, how close you are to me is if you pray over my kid. And I've got some strong black brothers in the faith that I absolutely trust to pray over my son as his life depends on because that's the most valuable thing to me. And when I think about that and I, I, I see and I've seen in them, you know, this, this cultural tug and pull of the, the threads and then I see pastors justifying it, I almost feel like the pastors are helping to distort the message of the gospel because it's, it's, it's the blood of Christ. They want to keep them slaves to their own past. That's it. And it's the blood of Christ over the color of their skin. Right. That's what transcends all of this. And when we have the church that's a loud language. You know, when when I get up in the morning, I awaken. <laughs> I, I don't woke. <laughs> I, this is, with the vocabulary, it's just like you say, words mean something. We, we have to take it back, but I'm reading through the notes that you put here. So notice that Christian Orthodox thought or conservative Christian thought is disparaged by the left or secu secularist. But a new age spiritual approach to life and woke religious thinking in many Christian churches is praised. It is sort of like secularism dressed in robes with the empty trappings of Christian symbology. Ooh, well, that's, that's what we have, our secular religion today. And that's exactly what it is uses some of the terminology, such as justice and everything. The big difference is Judeo-Christian thought believes in equal justice. Well, justice has no adjectives. There's nothing else that helps define it. You, you treat each man fairly. And the secular religion believes in equal outcome. It's a socialist-communist concept. The outcome has to be equal. Well, it never is. If anybody has found that socialist or communist country 
that has succeeded in doing this, please write us, and then I'll start saving up money right now for a moving van. But it looks like my moving van is going to be backed up against heaven's doors. And so I'm going to bring up, you know, the Bible. We might do that from time to time. This is what we talked about in a Bible study a few weeks ago. Isaiah 59, halfway through verse 15. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. <laughs> Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. So that whole part of uh, 15 and 16 actually goes back to Isaiah 58. And what does it say when God says he saw no man, saw no justice, and he wondered why there was no intercessor? And to intercede, so when God is saying this is what he wants us to do to bring about justice, to be his man and his intercessor, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. That's the exact, wow. that's the exact language that we use in prayer. Right. When we pray against, you know, when we're going in the offensive from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning, praying against the enemy. So we got to break some yokes. If we're going to get out of this, we're going to have to break some yokes. Yokes and kneecaps. I mean, the, 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 the church is running around tiptoeing on like why, unbroken eggshells. And why wasn't this held up in every church? Nathan, why? The Lord is already seeing that there is no justice. But what does he need? Us to intervene. That's not, correct. Not us to go tear down cities. Not us to go right. mock the people that have some sort of legitimate grievance. But that's why when this part says to dress it up in robes. We're just hoping for a new normal that you can survive in. There's no new normal. That's, that's, that's not even going to happen. Look, I don't even believe in luck. There's two two laws that actually have deeply affected the American society and ethic. Number one, most of the people came here originally came here for religious freedom. They wanted to practice religious freedom. And then there were those who were the profiteers, which is man's nature. But it was based on the concept of natural law and then Judeo-Christian ethic. The Constitution was not really based on the Judeo-Christian ethic as much as it was natural law, which means there's a law of nature of humanity, which is there because God created us in his image. So there is this universal understanding that there are good and bad behaviors, and that some behaviors are good and others are bad. And the natural law talks about things such as equality and justice and prudence and effort, personal responsibility. Or even sweat equity. Sweat equity, you're right. It's ingrained in our DNA where we automatically value someone that we work next to that's working just as hard as us. We value more people, you know, people more that are working harder than us. Sometimes our ego might be in check and say like, uh, maybe that person could calm down. Or the people below us, right? You know, they're working slower saying, hey, maybe you could pick it up and, and balance these things out. But what you're hinting at is just like the natural order of life. Trees grow up. The sun comes up and goes Correct. down. Birds fly. Grass grows without man having to do anything. So God has put order in all of his creation around us. It's all order. But all of a sudden now, and I love the language because they're saying that we want equality. They want equality of outcome. Outcome. And they're not pushing for equality of effort. If they were, I would actually respect what they're trying what to say. What does equality of outcome do? I, I, what... In other, in other words, what do you have to do to create equality of outcome? Well, first, there has to be an arbiter of what's equal. And that's going to be the state. Which is right. crazy because yeah. what's good for them isn't good for us, right? Well, as soon as they arbitrate what our equality is, 
then there's no equality. <laughs> and then there's no objective quality. There's no. everything's subjective to right. someone else. Remember that it is a parable told by Christ about people given talents. I think it was three, five, and one talents. The guy that only got one talent saved it. He buried it. And he was the one being chastised, even though he got the least, because he did the least with it, too. And the master said, you know, at the very least, I could have gotten interest if you put it in a bank. Yeah. You could have done something with it instead of just burying it. Yeah. And look at the guys who are out there doing the work. The master's like, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. That's actually the only fear that I have, is dying and having God call me a squanderer. Like he put things within me, talents within me. He put effort and time into me, into fashioning me. And I somehow don't make it to the other end, depleting myself of, of all these things. I want to be poured out. That's why there's grace. Absolutely. That's why there's grace, because none of us will meet that standard. But as long as we're in debt, <laughs> that's a life well lived. That's correct. That's, that's correct. So if we, are, if we are witnessing the state trying to legislate the equality of outcome, let's be honest, someone else's outcome and their desirable outcome is different than someone else's. So they're actually doing something that is impossible to do. Mm -hmm. They're giving the appearance of quality and the appearance of progress, but really they're just giving us another distraction. It's like sleight of hand. How does that affect someone's everyday life? If someone feels like they had a mission, they have a purpose, they have goals, they're trying to achieve it, they're working hard, and then the state comes in to say, oh no, we have a better way for you. So what's been working this whole time, for some reason the state is now saying it's no longer working. And they're giving us something else. So they're giving us this arbitrary sameness, but there couldn't be any sameness because they're the ones that define it. But for us, it does another thing. It takes away personal responsibility. There was a statement by, uh, oh, who's the fellow that created the library system? Essentially, the theory was if you gave everybody the same amount of money every year within a period of about 100 years, it would be back to 90-10. 10% would control the vast amount of money. 90% would not. And... I think that in some ways, uh, although it's not exactly scientific, it does show that they're doing that right now with the welfare checks. We listened to this guy today, that w the, the, the stimulus checks. He said some people are actually putting this down on a note that they owe money on, or they're putting it in the savings, and other people are saying, hey, it's vacation time, break out the beer. You know, <laughs> consumer debt, consumer credit borrowing on the credit cards, is, I think it was also up four times above their estimate. Really? For the last month, yeah, four times. Wow. Yeah, they estimated $5 billion, and then we ended up doing like $22 billion. So they handle credit cards as badly as the government handles our national debt. What's the worst? <laughs> so when we're getting all these paltry checks out, right, and people are like, oh, crumbs. Yeah. Excuse me, sir, can I have some more? And, and it's pretty interesting because they were our dollars in the first oh, place. They're just, giving back our own dollars. It's like the salt babe, right? The yeah. The salt babe that just sprinkles salt down his elbow. It's like, that's what the government's <laughs> doing. Now, so just sprinkling our, our tax dollars back. And even then, we're still keeping a tab of what they gave us. And it's going to say, oh, well, you owe that back. How is it that Biden, in such a short amount of time, has... Does it even seem like it's his plan? Or does it seem like it's this kind of 
amalgamated plan from all these other outside sources that are that are pushing us towards that. Oh, I don't think Biden has a plan. I think he's worried about where's the next bathroom. You know, it's. it's <laughs> I mean. He's an old guy like me. <laughs> oh, no, not even like you. I mean, he has clear, if he doesn't have dementia, we have to redefine what dementia is. We have to. Uh, it's true. I, 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 I have to say that he does have an issue. And to that point, it's sad, but he's not a decision maker in any of this. No, he can't be. That's basically like giving Obama a third term. He is having a third term. It's, there's no doubt he's reinstated most of the stuff he wanted to do. So if, if we're talking about the woke church and how the government is really almost trying to prop it up. They're trying to use the language to deceive a certain amount of Christianity. Be ye not deceived. But why are they doing it? What do they want? They want political power. Which means a vote, right? They want the... They want a vote. But not just a vote. They want... An acquiescence. They want the acquiescence and they want the discussion behind the vote to be ultimately favorable towards the state. So whoever's voting, they want them to talk about their vote. Right. If all the data that was thrown out in different videos, Mike Lindell, uh, if all that's correct, that's what, 100 million people voted for Trump? Correct. <laughs> more Americans <laughs> than at any other election for one candidate? Yeah, even if it's 80, it was more. Yeah. So if that's the case, we're going to witness the government scratching and clawing its way towards every single facet of our faith to blur the lines, to try and bolster up a continuing program at the state level, at the federal level, to the point where if we already doubt that the electoral process even works, many people doubt that it works. Well, that's not going to work, Steve, because if they shut down our churches, we'll fight. Oh, wait a minute. They did shut down our churches <laughs> for, for oh, what, a year now, and we said nothing. We did nothing. And we protested very little. And yet today, we still have the casinos open down the road, but churches are closed. They're Zooming it. <laughs> no, I'm going to preface this for the listeners, right? We still believe in the church. We do. We, Absolutely. We were just at one. <laughs> we, go, we go to church every week, sometimes several times a week. But we do it because of the community. We've met some solid people, some solid teachers, and they're good people, especially considering what's available in the world right now. But the idea is that if the church is trying to figure out which leg to stand on, because if it bucks against the state's occupancy limits, they lose the occupancy permit. Then they have fines, and they're fighting all these different things. And then they acquiesce to a legal process that has been highly leveraged against them. Look at the Ninth Circuit Court oh. over in the western part of the country. If you're looking at this the right way, you're going to see like, my gosh, the church should be a hospital that's open all the time. It should have never closed. That's right. People can be afraid, but the church is the last vestige of hope for people that are looking for an institutional response to institutional decay. Well, from what I see in the coroner's office, the greater damage has been done by the shutdown and not by the virus. Because, number one, the virus is determined by a PCR test that is so fallible to the positive that you don't know what the statistics are. Number two, what I'm seeing is a surge in drug deaths that you can't believe, a severity in child abuse you cannot conceive of, anger and violence. I mean, it's not. It, it, the other day, four drug overdoses and one fellow shot four times with a 40 caliber, probably over nothing or something related to drugs or something like that. 
but the world is in a bad state right now. And for us to then slam the doors of the church and put a border, you know, one of those logs in so that nobody can break into that church. That's the last thing you want to do is have those Jesus people talking together. They're also the last thing that Christians want is to hear fear. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to see a church without power. They don't want to see a teacher that is capitulating to culture and can see the data and is operating off of basically cooked books. Yeah, truthfully, somebody that's especially immature in the faith can fall in despair really easily. Well, they can also be overwhelmed. Listen, this is humanity, right? If yeah. We have spiritual oppression. You have the spirits of offense and discord that ran rampant all the way through 2020. Then the spirit of fear, right? So maybe fear was set up first with COVID, maybe then kicked on down the line. But you've got these things that almost overwhelmed everyone for a minute. But why was the church not shored up in a better position to bounce back and say, okay, cool, we need to go about this differently? We give up our 501c status. Oh, uh, boom. Uh, we give up our occupancy permit, yeah. right? We've got threats. California. Fine. We'll go to a field. Oh, look, you can have no more than 20 people in a 3,500-person capacity. I mean, really. One of the funniest things I saw was, I think it was out... It was out on the West Coast somewhere. They had the churches all slammed down shut, but they had the casinos open. So this pastor brought all his congregation to a casino. They walked in and had the service right by the slot machines and everything, singing and praising God. I a, thought it was great. There was even a pastor who um, I, I think was in Ventura somewhere. His name is Rob. I think I follow him on social media, but I forgot his last name. But he... Um, he said, oh, the, the state, the state's going to leave strip clubs open. Right. So right now we identify as a strip club. And he actually started to like, he, this, he actually took out his jacket and his tie. Don't know how far he took it, but like, it was a pretty good social media post for a second. And then you have John MacArthur, who, listen, love him or hate him, you know, yeah. he defied the order. And then you had Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, like a boss, defied the order. Again, I don't care where you line up with these guys and their doctrine what they say and don't say, what they believe in and don't believe in, right? The fact that Hibbs kept, you know, really, really encouraging people like, look at the data, don't be afraid. And even MacArthur was pushing back on fear and even challenging, you know, the state. And the state, I, you could almost get a sense that the state was so agitated and pissed off at the church. And in a way, I kind of hoped that the state would continue to overplay its hand. I hope that... Well, it seems to be. <laughs> but, that, but that's that's it. It doesn't unless all the other churches reopen and buck the system too. Because there was nothing stopping them from doing it. Well, did you notice priests up in Canada? Wow. It was a hell-fire and damnation love that guy. statement. And I loved it. But those are spiritual warriors. They understand what is happening here. This has nothing to do with a man-made virus. And yes, I, I really believe, folks, and Steve can tell you, I've done so much research on this, it's unbelievable. It's a man-made virus. It's something that never came out of nature. And uh, unfortunately, the first question you have to ask is why would anybody make a virus to go into human beings, specifically to make a protein that would allow it to go into your cells? Why would they make that in the first place? Some people call it a bioweapon, but it also is broader than that. It's population control. Well, if you look at it through the right lens, the right? whole thing. 
So did they engineer a response to a problem or did they engineer a problem to their solution? It's a problem to their solution, I think. Yeah. They have a solution, which I, I don't know who's listening right now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're Christian, not Christian, if you're crazy, uh, you're on the fence, who knows. If you actually believe that the people in control don't have an agenda to depopulate and actually reduce our numbers, you can probably just check off now because this isn't going to resonate. Well, all you need to do is listen to some of the speeches of Bill Gates and you'd, you'd figure it out pretty quickly. I mean, he says it openly. Now, we have too much population in this world. I mean, so let's kill babies. Let's, you know. You've got a multi-vectored approach to depopulation, right? I mean, it's, it's very, it's sophisticated, almost as if it's being organized. <laughs> you think. <laughs> That's not possible, right? And I don't even think a lot of these people, I'm sure, listen, folks, demonization is real. The devil is real. People can be possessed. People can be influenced. So yes, absolutely, some of these people are without a doubt knowingly, willfully being influenced by the spiritual realm to our detriment. It's not the first time that Satan has used population control in the days of Noah. Uh, in the how, days of Noah. How about the Sanhedrin? How the devil use the Sanhedrin when, when they were assessing Christ? Yeah, well, it's better for one man to die for us to be subjected by the Romans. So you can't tell me that Caiaphas was this like, oh, wow, I'm super in tune with God. No, he was he was posturing to remain in power, which is exactly what our government's doing right now. Right. And he used the current legal system of his time within the Jewish state. To kill somebody. To, to kill somebody, which is exactly what our government is doing right now. Correct. Governments across the world. And what are they doing? They're taking our lead. They're taking our data. They're taking our posture. And maybe there's some maleficent people in other countries like, oh, now's my time. When you start to read the research of Michael Heiser and others, and his book, Unseen Realm, is absolutely phenomenal, and he has one more for the layman rather than somebody that's digging deep into the theology of it. It's quite good, too. But Michael Heiser, and uh, he talks about the period of the days of Noah and the Nephilim, which there's big debate, but the fact of the matter is that these were giants, and I think Goliath could verify that. But at any rate, there was something that interfered with the DNA and the breeding because of the sons of God entering with the women of men. That was a DNA line and a conflict at that time. It was so distorted that God determined it had to be killed, had to be wiped out. Had to be wiped out. And so there we have Noah, who was, I think he said a clean, wait, wait, is it clean? Yeah, it Basically, his DNA wasn't interrupted, was undefiled, and he loved the Lord. So he and that family get saved, as well as, again, he always wanted a male-female component of even the animals so that you could survive the DNA. Now, for someone who has really looked at DNA in depth and the complexities of it, it is clearly one of the keys to creation. Because I'll tell you right now, you cannot, by probabilities, even justify half of the complexities of DNA. It had to be a created code. So that code was disturbed by the Nephilim and this relationship between the sons of God and the women of men. And Heiser goes into detail assessing the fact that they came down and basically accelerated depravity. They taught us things and showed us things that God did not intend for us to know, to think of, to have. And they did so 
to their own benefit. Correct. Yeah. Even cannibalism of humans. It's it was that. It was the, pharmacology, the, pharmacia. The yes, word from, that's right? right. That's mentioned. Hallucinogenics, drugs, alcohol, you know, different things. Right. Okay, so they want to keep us, or at least introduce us to an altered state of being. And we already know, once that happens, it becomes a gateway to demonic forces and entities and things. So here we are right now. Israel itself, they have done experiments and they're, they're growing mammals in false uteruses. We have growing, oh, an ear on the back of a, uh, I think it was a rat or a pig, I'm not quite sure. Human, yeah. Human ear. And whether or not it was functional or not doesn't matter. Yeah. The fact no. that they even tried it. Yeah, it looked, it looked pretty good. I mean, it was a nice ear for a pig. <laughs> but now, now here we are. Here we are, and we're, we're not attenuating a known virus and weakening it to an extent that might be a little sick, but it goes through your immune system and you create almost herd immunity type of antibodies. No, that's not quick enough. It's too expensive, takes too long. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna design a spike, a protein spike, similar to those little spikes you see on the animations of the coronavirus that goes to the ACE2 receptors, which is where the key gets opened up and this virus gets into your cell because it can't make more of itself without your cells and God's DNA. So it's intentionally hijacking your DNA to create something that is man-made. Correct. That is not something that God had programmed your body to make to begin with. And, and it doesn't go through the whole complex uh, interferon system and everything else of the immune system. It's much more complex than that one's thing. So without going through that process, it so, as soon as you get the next variant of that virus, then it says, oh no, we were only working on this man-made thing. So they ignore it and that virus will flourish. And what is gonna happen is that person will have a very bad effect on any variant. However, with God-given herd immunity, it takes it through this complex system of algorithms within the immune system that says, hey, that's close enough. We're gonna take that one down too. And so we're gonna help you with the language right now because <sighs> government and doctors and people saying to get the jab are also using that phrase, herd immunity. They're using it in connection, coinciding with people that are getting the jab. Here's the problem. It doesn't connect. They don't equate. You, you can't have, it's like they are both mutually exclusive. One has to exist on its own outside of the other. Immunity is where your immune system is actually fully functioning intact as God intended. The herd then goes through the normal healing process, right? It gets sick. But it's algorithmic, so it can say the next time, that's close enough. It looks like the other one. Let's get it, guys. And so in this case, though, the problem is the language being used. They're, they're saying, get the jab, and with the jab, you'll get herd immunity. That's a lie. It's, a, it's an outright lie. That's a lie. But they're blurring it, and people, listen, I don't have time to do all the research. Thank God you do, and you actually know what you're looking at. At the same time, my gut was already like, this is bad. Think about all the other people out there that are just trying to get through the outcome of 2020 into 2021 with little sprinkled checks oh. coming in. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, herd immunity. They said, if I get this, I'll have herd immunity. It's like they don't understand what it means. But this gets back to my people die for lack of knowledge. People are allowing themselves to be so comfortable. They're still paying for Netflix. They're still watching TV. They're still trying to be entertained. And they don't realize what they're allowing to happen behind us. Well, it goes back to what you were talking about, the use of words. The first bill to come out, and now is in front of the Senate now, is this um, Equality Act. Oh, yeah. The Equality Act. Are you kidding me? 
I've only read portions of it, but I should read the whole thing. Um, I don't know. I have to have a wastebasket there in case I throw up. Well, this isn't the first time that the government has applied language within a bill to actually do something that's quite the opposite. Like when it signed the UN peace treaty, right? This Correct. 2000 and... The one on gun control? Yeah, the one in 15 yeah. or 16. He signed right before he left office, I believe. And what did it do? It gave a deadline for the U.S. to adhere to a U.N. policy where we turned over our guns and outlawed private gun ownership. Right. That was with a treaty with the U.N. that even Trump pointed out. Well, the problem was it wasn't really a treaty because treaties are supposed to be verified by the, the House, it's and it wasn't. And also mutually beneficial. It was the perception of a good thing without yeah. actually being a good thing. It was the language of a good thing without being a good thing. Always. And so now if... The church doesn't make language a hill it's willing to die on. Where does this go? Is the church the last institution that people can look to for an institutional response to the government? Well, if, if, they don't, if they don't stop this ridiculous change in terminology, just like this bill, there is no equality in this. It just makes everybody into a victim group, and then we're going to have to have these equal victim groups. And if somebody comes into your church that's six, seven, smoking a cigar, wearing a purple dress and has a lot of eyeliner on and wants to go into your bathroom in your church, you're going to have to say, well, you know, we have to be equal in our treatment to everyone. And today, Fred thinks he's Frida. So Fred's not going to make it very far. In our church. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry. So this actually is what I talked about before, right? I heard it on Byron Rogers' podcast. So it talks about the stages of society and what we go through, right? First, it's a warrior-based, violent society where it's the violent that are able to take it and the weak are unable to defend themselves. So the violent pretty much have full reign. At that point, it goes to this might or warrior-based society. So the violent nomad society is first. Then it comes to the might and warrior-based society to where organized herds and groups of people that are under a warrior king or some sort of leader that has strength and exemplifies it and maintains it. At that point, it goes to an honor-based society. We honor those people that did great feats, had great strength, had you know great unity, some sort of special thing that we revered. We put them above everything else and so at that point we honor the work and exploits of somebody else but then it goes to dignity where we give that level of honor ultimately the respect equally regardless of what they've done or accomplished right? because they're human because they're human okay so you have basic rights you're human some people still respect it higher not lesser but then right. that's when it gets darker then you have the victim stage of society that's where we are right now uh, it's even worse than that we're at the uber victim <laughs> the victims are trying to out-victim one another. Who's the greater victim gets the greater spoil, the greater respect, the greater acknowledgement. But this is what, there's a gentleman that was on a podcast or some show with Jordan Peterson, and it was a trans gentleman. And what he was saying was, you've had your power long enough. Your words have power. Well, now we're taking back that power. Wow. And this is the difference, though. What he's talking about is he feels insecure that his way of life isn't respected or honored. So he wants to take it. He wants to take that posture, that language, where they legally require honor and respect, where it's not due or given. But what he's also trying to do, he's mistaking, he's applying force, right? That's not power. You can't just apply force and say, I now have power. You can't get honor by force. <laughs> and, and so that's the other thing. You can't get someone's respect by forcing them to do something against Correct. their will or desire.
So really what they're doing, they're setting the stage for a very violent backlash. Because there's a lot of people who are like, listen, we were being really cool with you. We're being really nice with you. Our Christianese was at the highest level and our pastors are saying, it's fine. It's fine. Just give them the words. The words are becoming action. The words are coming for our kids. There's a lot of people, men and women alike, and you got 10 million brand new gun owners in America in 2020. Good luck putting baby back in the corner. It's not going to happen. So, so what I'm saying is that if we've allowed this to go the way that it has, if we are now this uber victim, you know, cycle of society, at some point, the might and warrior based, we won't go back to being nomads, right? Because we're a nation, but the might and warrior based society is going to reemerge and they're already there. Listen, if, if you're a person that operates with an ethos or some sort of code that is warrior-like, you're just waiting. You're just waiting for when someone says, all right, I've had too much. It's, it, they've gone too far. And if there are no institutions willing to do it, the only thing that's really standing in the gap is the church. It's kind of like a, a lid on the tea kettle. But what's happening is the government's using the language of the church to blur the lines and to say, oh, look, the, the, the government is bringing in, ushering in justice. So all of a sudden, people are like, wait a second, is it the government or the church? So if the government was an institution that needs to be pushed back from another institution, but they're using that other institution's language, they're confusing people, and they're actually keeping us... Well, they're saying that's not even Christian to hate homosexuals. Absolutely. I don't hate anybody. But the fact that they are distorting the lens, this is part of being deceived. We've allowed it to happen. And this is why when we go to church, we love church, we love corporate worship, but we're looking for the church to wake up, dust itself off, and say, okay, this is now a hill worth dying on. And what are you going to have? A fractured church. You're going to have an institution that is not as strong. And ultimately, it's an institution that has not been tested like this in the history of this country. No, not in the history... No, not in the history of this country. I can't think of a place. So when we get back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. and enumerates all these things. And we say, wow, this is the first time in human history every single culture and society in the world has been drunk off of our Americana since the 2000s, since the internet, the ubiquity, pervasiveness of, of social media. All of a sudden, we're all on America's turning point in our schedule. That's what is so wild. And I don't even think that the book, because we both read it, had, had it, the fourth turning, right. It didn't get that far. It didn't get that far because we didn't have the internet with, as prolific as it is now. Listen, Strauss and Howe, if you guys are out there still alive and even... Great like book, guys. Yeah, you guys Great book. It. If you want to come on, come on and talk and we'll, we'll have some drinks and hash it out. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, if you can uh, actually just update your your version to include the fact that now we've actually really screwed up everyone. Right. So. <sighs> That's another thing, just like the fourth turning, just like uh, we were at a church this morning, a men's breakfast, and there was a fellow up there talking about something we already do, is we have the discipline in a group of uh, men and women that we get up every morning at five, if it's at all possible, and we actually tell each other we're in, we're, we're here. If it's 6.15, we're here. It's accountability. It's accountability because you start the morning on your knees and then with your head bowed in front of the Bible, 
reading and praying, and then the rest of the day begins. It doesn't begin with breakfast down at the diner or anything else. That all is great stuff. The news, you don't check the news apps. It's, listen, it's no Bible. That's my hardest thing. I got to pray first and then go to the news. Because I am a I am a news and research freak, but that's because I'm I'm involved in trying to help society. I keep going back to this one passage, and the Holy Spirit keeps mentioning it. At a time when kings went off to war, this has to be the start of a convicted about face for the body of Christ. This is our call to arms. Society is making the call. The birth pangs of society that are in the throes of demonic oppression. And if you don't see it for what it is, you're like, wow, this is evil. Wow, this doesn't make sense. Look at the Bible. If you're not Christian, keep listening. Get that Bible. Get the app. Download. Start reading. Start in Psalms and Proverbs. Actually, read Psalm 119 out loud. But the whole point is, you've got to come to a place where you see that the Bible calls us more than conquerors. We have done more than conquering, but it's because we do the work. What has been is the past. What will be is the past. And the Lord requires an account of it all. Ecclesiastes 3.15. If we can't actually take that footing and say, you know something? I'm actually going to do an about face. If this is the time when kings go off to war, I'm going to get outside and start praying. I'm going to actually teach my kids how to start praying. I'm going to give a spiritual response first before I'm forced. And before the woke culture that's trying to now hijack you know, the language of the gospel. And our children. And our children. <laughs> At the very least, this is our call to arms, and this is your time to go off to war, in battle, in prayer. Listen, Ephesian armor wasn't meant to just take hits. It was meant for every Christian. It's not just a defensive situation. Armor, historically, if you look at it, armor, You're expecting to go into battle. That's why you're wearing it. Which means you have to get trained. Which yeah. means you're going to spar. You're going to get your ass kicked, right? You're going to be called on the mat. In fact, if anything, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling. No. Powers and principalities. It's sparring. Yeah. But we're not even doing that. If all we're doing is saying like, oh, I'm going to shore myself up. Oh, I'm good. And other people are looking to deliver you from your situation. And you're not looking to deliver others. You're doing this wrong. Yeah, but I got 50 pounds of freeze-dried macaroni and cheese. I'm going to make it through this. <laughs> Patriot supply, baby. As long as I got my you know, internet connection and my Netflix account, I'm fine. Okay. Listen, listen. If you want to talk about demonization and you want to talk about how demons can enter you, what are the first five letters of the word entertainment? Yeah, enter. <laughs> Whoa. Never thought of that. Wow. We're being, we're being songed and danced our way into apathy. And the church is giving us these amazing productions of songs and lights up front. And I love the fact because, man, the church I grew up in, the music sucked. Oh, it's so lifeless and boring. Listen, the words were great. The words were, were Bible-based. And you've got some old-timers that are like, oh, we love the old hymns. Oh, bless, bless your heart, son. Your old hymns are the fruit of the gospel. The <laughs> glory of Well, I like some of those in the garden and onward Christian souls. <laughs> I know you don't, but... Some of them, but... I'm old. Yeah, yeah, you are. It's, it, it, <laughs> I, I, I'm old respectively, too, but the idea is that we can be glazed over with, you know, the pageantry of the church without actually coming to terms with the fact that, wow, um, maybe... Maybe we've been lulled. Maybe we've been tricked, which is part of being deceived. But at the very, you have to look at yourself first and actually ask the Holy Spirit. Desire that the Holy Spirit remove the blindness from your eyes. Because guess what? The Bible says the devil has called blindness to the eyes of people all around the world. The devil is able to do that. He's the prince of the air. At the very least, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit first for forgiveness 
for, for even being used, potentially, second, to have him remove the blinders and to show you what's afoot and what's happening. Your inner man, your spirit man should be filled with some sensation, but it means desire. You can't just say, oh, when it comes to me, I'll process it. There's a difference between data and directive. If you are soaking in so many things as data and you're not taking God's word as directive, you need to think about that. That's the action part, not the data. And it has to start within you. Revival has to start within you. And it's not going to be... It's actually not going to be in the church. It's going to be Christians that change the church, not the church changing Christians. It's more likely it'll be more like a statewide institution. And you talk about a country club church. Tell me about that. What do you think about that? You define it. Define it for me. So first, this is why this is actually kind of a thing. Most of us come from a background in the church, right? We talk about it. We enjoyed it. We benefited by it. But all of a sudden, 2020 comes along like a stress test. The church failed. Yeah. Wholesale. I mean, a few people jump out each state. We don't like that it's become a social construct that honors culture over kingdom. And what does that mean? The country club metaphor is where people pay a fee through tithing to be accepted as a good member, which makes you part of a nice, comfortable experience of the body of Christ at your specific church. The country club gets you to the point of being a good member tither and softly encourages you to go deeper. But what is First Timothy Chapter 4 say, The church seldom challenges or commands brethren to be good ministers, as we're told. It's in the Bible. It actually says to command people. <laughs> command. When's the last time the church commanded people to do something? Of course not. People will leave. So then most members feel good about going to the club once a week, right? The wives get to see the family dress nice. The kids mingle with other kids. The men shake hands and maybe hug like brothers. But they check the box and don't prioritize the word through the week. They try to be nice people and do the right thing, but their spiritual gas tank only lasts long enough to get them to the next service next week. We pray for the pastors that are giving good word, but are left managing a business because the pressure is huge and only getting worse. Yes. It was never meant to be this way. So we go to church and believe many churches have diminished their potential to lead through uncertainty. And we're going to encourage you to be the church the Bible calls us to be while the existing church figures out which leg they're trying to stand on, right? Ultimately, which hill they're willing to die on. Father in the faith, as we're having this conversation, I ask him, what is that hill going to be? He says the moment that they tell him that he can't preach the gospel. I respect that, but the whole point is there's a lot of steps leading to that moment that we're witnessing being carried out in broad daylight by adhering to these rules and laws and orders. They're not even laws, they're just orders. But by adhering to them wholesale, the message can be great. But if the posture of the Christian church is that of weakness, who's really going to connect with that message? Because people are looking for strength. I mean, here's the analogy, right? It's Braveheart. It's Robert the Bruce. William Wallace is trying to say, if you would only lead us, we would follow you. But the church is struggling to even do it. It's not leading. It's not. It's not leading. And so if the church is the last institution that can offer an institutional pushback, to those things which are you know, really barring down on us. We have to resuscitate the church, or we have to close the church and be it. Maybe hybrid of both. Maybe those that can be saved will try to do that. But guess what? Deceptive churches will actually linger around afterwards and become part of the state church. 
Well, in the beginning, the church was the Christians, and they happened to meet in homes or wherever they could meet, yeah. caves and everything else. Oh, I like caves. And maybe we're going back to that because as you and I have been examining, this whole thing is, for us to survive, maybe decentralization, and uh, we'll be meeting in homes again. I think there's going to be a component of that that has to go forward. Mm -hmm. I just want people to start doing it before it's required for our survival. Correct. Well, because that comes down to discipline, that comes down to, I mean, if we really look at it, what an honor it is to love and serve God on the edge of eternity. You got all of the angelic host, everyone that's died before us is looking at us like, oh my gosh, God actually chose them to be alive now. Why? What are they going to do? What are they going to say? Right? That, that's something that's so powerful and prolific that we shortchange ourselves. God wanted me to be alive <laughs> right now. I'm saying it now. I don't know if I really would have really pondered that as much as I do now four or five years ago. And is that a combination of you being the age that you are or you having the spiritual posture that you have now? Spiritual posture. No doubt about it. Well, in the age I am now, I mean. But you've got guys, you know, you've got Charlie, you've got William, you've got, you know, other guys that are they're of their own age and they've got a different fire. And they've got it because... This is a multi-generational design from inception by God. Well, your own son has the fire. Which, listen, he shouldn't even be here. He understands. He does. There's a heaviness that comes with it because that's a measure of respect, right? We respect what we've been given. Well, I weep for my country. We desire the full measure of it because anything short of it won't be a life fully lived. Right. So how do we encourage people who honestly aren't being told this? They're not seeing this. They're, they're looking at the church like, we don't understand. Speak the truth. To speak the truth, you have to know what the truth is. To know what the truth is, you have to be in the book. To be in the book is to ask the Holy Spirit to show me what you want me to see, to speak to you, right? Every time you open it, you pray, let this word be a lamp to my feet. Show me where I am and a light to my path. If you're not in a church that is really in the book and encouraging you to be in the book, and this isn't your daily maintenance manual for life in this earth, then find one that is biblically based and believes in the powers, the apostolic powers that you can have. And what does that mean for people that don't understand what an apostolic power is? It means that you're ordained by God and created in his image to actually be a vessel while you're here to, have, to have your own spirit but also be infilled with the Holy Spirit to work in tandem for everyone's benefit, God's and man's alike. It was never meant to be disconnected. Since Christ came, he said, it's better that I die, let the helper come. I love how people call him the paraclete, right? That's like the Greek name for it. It sounds like parakeet. Like, <laughs> you can't say it. If people are reading the word, they're desiring the Holy Spirit, they're praying to God saying, open my eyes and my heart. It will happen. Show me. But it comes down to desire. You can't just check a box anymore. And you can't look to the church like they're going to be responsible for whether or not you get into heaven or even live a fulfilled life. You have to look at it like your partitions will actually destroy you if you keep God out of every single aspect of your life. Saying, no, I like my friends, my family, my music. God's not saying give them all up. God's saying, can you just introduce me to them so we can talk? And can we look at it all together? What are you afraid of? If there's anyone out there that doesn't talk about God to people that you work with or people in your friendship circle. Maybe they're not worth being in that circle, right? If they're friends, but at work, maybe these people can see you consistently for who you are on the inside. 
because it's not just about who you are on the inside that matters, right? This is a little Batman quote. It's what you do with it, it's your actions. But that means you have to then act outwardly. The Great Commission applies to us all. We are all priests. In fact, it says, the Bible says that we actually minister to God. I don't know about you, but I kind of take that seriously. I don't hold my head up like, oh, look at me, I minister to God. But I look at it like I have an opportunity to walk differently as God intended. And God means to prosper us, never leave us, never forsake us. But the reality is there's some places we go that God simply can't follow. Which means if there are rooms that you walk into that you have partitioned up, he's not walking into that room with you. Don't let church deceive you. Yes, God will never leave you nor forsake you. But you can leave him. You can forsake him. Which requires repentance, which requires turning around, doing an about face, and saying, no, I need to do this differently. Walk backwards, check yourself, and then continue forward. But I can't tell you how many times God's left me to the outcome of my decisions. Is what that basically means. <laughs> yep. Listen, he's not going to stop me. He's not going to all of a sudden rain. Unless there's something that, you know, is obviously going to take my life. He's not going to intervene and say, oh, no, don't do it. He's trying to see, like, am I in him? If I'm in him, he's, she's not going to make that decision and do that thing. So we are left with the consequence of our actions. Thank God. Because so many times my consequences have been my best teachers. But that said, we need to encourage you because we're not asking you to go along this process with us just to deceive you, just to say, hey, you're going to check a box and feel good. Like, no, this is the muck. You need to actually get down to the darkest places of your soul and say, good, I'm here with the light of the Holy Spirit based off what Christ did for me. Billy Graham, in one of his great evangelical sermons, he didn't talk about partitions, which is what we're talking about, but it's the same thing. He said... Christ is in every part of your life. So when you go out in the morning, after that prayer and knee bending, he said, each time in this business deal, does it glorify God? Mm. In other words, did both people win in it? Was it good? Was it righteous? Was it ethical? With that entertaining talk I had with that lady, <laughs> was that to glorify God? The music that I listen to, the items I'm looking at on the computer, does it glorify God? If you ask that question, even though, let's say it's pornography on a computer or something like that, and you ask the question, does this glorify God, you quickly will get the answer because you already know it. You're asking the question. And it'll discipline you so that you will start to understand that this is temporary and it's a mistake and it's wrong because God says it's wrong, and because you can look at the humans that are being manipulated into the acts in pornography and, and know that this is unjust, it's wrong. Well, even then, the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. It's not for our disparaging either. It's, it's actually build us and keep us. And the worst part about it is that so many people think sin, when they do it, that they do it alone, that it has no adverse outcome to other people, and that is the exact opposite. I don't care who you are, someone's watching you. It's a cancer. Absolutely. And, and so that thing, right? Let's say all of a sudden you do something sinful, you have shame about it. That shame is like a countenance that you carry around with you that you could have been used to speak to people through God, but now you're like, oh, God's not talking to me. Oh, I can't say that. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not in the right place, the right footing. And so all of a sudden you look down on yourself the exact way the devil wants you to. You're being used. You're being plagued. But that means that your sin absolutely affects everyone else that God's called you to be around. That your kids, your parents, your family, your friends, you can't speak life into them if you yourself are wallowing in death. 
matters. All of this matters. But if you don't read the word and ask God about it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it, it's, you, can, you, can, you can play church, right? You can play church, read the words, and say, oh, here are the rules. I'm going to live by the rules. Guess what? Your heart can still be sideways. Or you can, okay, right? There's certain people in our group, right, who say, oh, I know there's evil in the world. So I go ahead and, and I give and support good things, right, to offset it. It's like, no, we're supposed to do those good things, but we're also supposed to confront the evil that's in the world. You can't do something half-assed. Jesus walked in the temple, started flipping tables. He saw that there were merchants and people selling. It's like, it's like planting flowers in your garden and not worrying about the weeds. Yeah, <laughs> the but weeds will win. But it also means that listen, we are Christ's legacy, right? And we're supposed to continue that legacy. And our treasure can't be stored here; it should be stored in heaven. But that's why all of this is an opportunity. We keep coming back to language because this this is about the distortions that we're seeing by powers that be at scale. This is truly a mountain of effort that's being done by disparate parties, whether or not they know that they're working in concert or orchestrated, they're all being used, and it's all to our detriment. Folks, you are our brothers and sisters. We were all created by the same God. There is no black race or Hispanics or white or the human race. A gift of life given by God, and that God is willing to spill grace all over us and forgive us for our corrupt natures. And if you have issues like pornography or addiction, which I face every day, not personally, I'm the one that cleans up the mess afterwards. As a coroner, I see this every day. And actually, I'm doing a documentary on addiction right now. Hopefully, I can get spirituality in on it. But being our brothers and sisters, if you have issues, write to us. Write to us. We'll pray for you. We're trying to remind you that you're not in this alone. Wherever you're at, God's so big that as soon as you take it to him, you could walk away completely changed from the experience. But you'll never know unless you try. I think it was a movie. It was called The Deplorables, where they got together this this military group to do the some... Expendables. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we are. We're all deplorables. I'm an ass, you're an ass. We all really recognize that. We know our only power comes from God and from repentance. So... Nothing you say to us is unusual, and some of the times the things we say to you, you would say, well, that's unusual. He said this or that. We're different in many ways, but we all realize one thing. We need Christ. We need the grace that he so willingly shed on the cross. So don't be ashamed of the cross. Don't be ashamed of your beliefs. Love God, love people, change the world. That said, we're gonna go backwards and start with our disclaimer for what this whole show is. First and foremost, I'm Steve, this is Graham. Welcome to The Fourth Watch. This isn't your typical Christian podcast. We love Jesus and we want to edify everyone that hears us. But there's a decent chance you'll hear us laughing, drinking, and cussing. At times. At, at times. Train <laughs> of heart, though. You don't need to be a Christian to listen, but you'll probably miss half of what we're talking about. So buckle up. This will be interesting. We're going to discuss serious topics and subject matters, so discretion is advised. But our goal is to make sure that you leave this podcast better than the way you found it. We're Christians, the real kind, that isn't afraid to ask big questions, break things down, test the spirit, be vulnerable, and challenge one another out of our comfort. We will never take ourselves too seriously. Life's too short, our work is too difficult, our calling is too great, and our sarcasm is too good not to share. <laughs> You're welcome. We believe the Bible is 100% inspired by God and worthy of our time and study. Amen. We don't want to water down the gospel or our thoughts. If 
fact, we just test about everything and hash it out like our lives depend on it because it does. Don't let the word warfare confuse you. We're not angry or aggressive people that use the phrase spiritual warfare as a way to justify hostile emotions, zealotry, or beliefs. But that said, spiritual warfare is absolutely real. We also believe that every Christian should be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we'll talk about our own challenges to that, which you can probably relate to. We believe that every Christian should be a useful member of the body of Christ, which if you're not, if you're not even a Christian, that will sound freaking crazy. But we also believe that every Christian is called to battle. And some of us are even called to war, in prayer, in the spirit, to the measure that we're called. And you won't know unless you try. You won't know unless you crack open the book and then ask God, what does this warfare mean to me? What do you intend for me to play a role in this? And when you do, it could be eye-opening. It could be earth-shattering. It could be life-changing. But what it also means is that it's going to help you shore up your footing for yourself and your family. Okay, till next time, God bless you all. Have courage. Seek Christ. Fall at his feet. Be humble in what you do. Because God is good. Life is good. And that's a lot better than running around with four masks on, a hood over your head, or who knows what, safe distancing and all this other stuff, and worrying about a life that's unlivable because you fear death so much. I don't fear death because... We're travelers in this world, and we are eternal souls. Well, even then, death is a great, you know, it's a great equalizer, because then, then God just releases us on time. True. That's a whole separate facet. True. Conversation. But Graham said all the main talking points. I'm just going to say, uh, appreciate you guys. God bless and Godspeed. God bless. That officially wraps up April 10th, 2021. This is April 20th, 2022, and we are a little slow to the punch, but we're getting caught up. God willing, I think. For more information, please visit us online at www.fourth, W-A-T-H. Also visit Graham Hetrick at GrahamHetrick.com or on Instagram at Graham Hetrick. We hope that today's episode really inspired you, helped you, challenged you, something. We hope that the Holy Spirit was able to move through us and speak through us. And we hope that your footing is firmly on the Word of God, walking with Christ and on your feet as things get weird. Stay safe out there. More episodes coming. Give us a line. Let us know what you think. God bless.